Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 22nd, 2012. Got a weird think question here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said. As a result of it, we've got to do the, well, the discernment work and uh, and and do the comparative. See, 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 uh, yeah, the, if the job of the Berean once applied, you know, putting something under scrutiny, checking to see if that's what God's word says in context, really, you know, and if it if it doesn't, well, then you know, you got to reject it. You got to test everything. Hold to that which is good. You don't test everything and hold to that which is so so. You, you get what I'm saying. So I, at the uh, top of the program, I said uh, I had a think question. So here's my think question. Are you ready? Here's how the question goes. Who do you think benefits from uh, a Christianity uh, that is not doctrinal, a Christianity that is, well, biblically illiterate, uh, and, uh, well, and, you know, anti-theological and all that kind of stuff? Who do you think benefits from that? Do you think Christ benefits from it? Do you think the church benefits from it? Or would somebody else benefit from that kind of Christianity. I mean, think of it this way. Christianity has enemies in the world, plain and simple. Uh, throughout Christianity's uh, existence, it has Christianity and Christians have been persecuted by, well, religious systems, competing religions, uh, uh, competing governmental imperial systems, things like that. And so you think of the Roman Empire, you think of current modern day, uh, you know, Islam and Islamic states. So my question is, who benefits from a Christianity that where where the average person who calls themselves a Christian doesn't understand, well, anything about the Bible is biblically illiterate? Who do you think benefits from that? Um, you know, because the, the, the reality is, is that somebody benefits from it. But then let me ask you, uh, conversely. Who do you think benefits from a robust, theologically deep, and biblically literate Christianity? Who would benefit from that? 
Now you're thinking, well, those, these are interesting questions. I wonder why you're asking. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm putting it out there because I want you to think this through. Who benefits from a biblically illiterate, non-doctrinal, non-theologically rigorous Christianity? Who benefits from that? And uh, and who, um, conversely, benefits from a theologically rigor- rigorous, biblically literate, theologically in-depth, uh, doctrinally in-depth Christianity? Who benefits from that? Yeah, think about that, because there are people who do benefit. There are institutions that do benefit from a Christianity that isn't theologically rigorous. But it's not generally um, the institutions or people that we would consider to be in league with, well, Jesus Christ. In fact, really more in league with, well, the devil, the world, and, you know, his agenda, things like that. So, you know, I just, I just put it out there. So, <clears throat> you know, considering the fact that God's Word specifically instructs pastors to teach sound doctrine, to teach the full counsel of the Word of God, we can say with certainty that a biblical literacy, theological rigor, and and doctrinal depth are commanded by God and actually are in accord with his revealed will. This is not something that's speculation. This is flat out supported from the clear teachings of the word of God. So that being the case, God, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom really ultimately uh, are advanced through biblical literacy, sound doctrine, and, uh, and theological rigor. These are, it's, this is clearly the case because God's Word says so. That would mean that Satan's agenda, the agenda of the world, and, uh, well, you can even say uh, religious charlatans and others, uh, really ends up benefiting from a well, theologically anemic, uh, uh, biblically illiterate, non-doctrinal or anti-doctrinal Christianity. You know, no, nothing good comes of a Christianity that is not in accord with what God has revealed in his word regarding what we are to believe, teach, and confess. So, uh, you know, in in the past, you know, the, the, and I think I, I, I get the understanding here, is there's a lot of people out there who very much are rigorous about the idea that Christ, that uh, that uh, Christians founded the United States of America and that it was founded on Christian principles. To uh, to a certain extent, that is correct. Uh, it, to uh, in other senses, that is not exactly correct. When you look at the founding fathers of the United States of America, truly there are Christians in the group. Truly, there are those who we will see uh, in heaven. And yet there are also a group of uh, a group of them who are Unitarians, who are deists, and who are philosophical rationalists. You know, I would think of Thomas Jefferson, who took out his uh, uh, 18th century version of an exacto knife and sliced out of the Bible all of the miracle claims. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's tough to have Christianity without the miracle of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. You know, so he was he was a true rationalist in that sense. And so I, I would be surprised if we uh, we saw Thomas Jefferson in, uh, in in the kingdom of God uh, when Christ is revealed or should we die prior to his return. So, yeah, it's again, it's it's tough to be a Christian in any meaningful sense of the word, and deny that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the gra- grave because miracles aren't possible. But so, but the idea that though is this: is that the the worldview 
that was shared in common, even by those who were deists, philosophical deists, and those who were, uh, you know, who were Unitarian and others. The 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 the, the worldview of the night at the 18th century still had was borrowing from and assumed a Christian worldview, and so that being the case, you know, you, you that you know Christianity had a profound, you know, like pillar, you know, you know, load-bearing wall kind of, uh, you know, influence on the founding fathers, their worldview, and the Constitution of the United States. That does not mean that the United States Constitution is uh, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is not. But the point being this is that um, many of the concepts of individual rights, liberties, and freedoms, and being protected from government and a government that also protects its citizens— these are all, you know, it relies heavily on a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview. So, um, you know, but but that being the case is that the founding fathers also understood that the United States of America, as it was originally founded on the principles of the Constitution, could not continue in perpetuity if if what was removed from the equation was a christian worldview if if people slipped into you know rank immorality and rejection of a biblical worldview then that would actually run counter to the principles on which the united states uh, was founded so as a result of it i would say this you know i think you could make a historical case and you can make a philosophical and even biblical case that as the United States rejects a biblical a theological worldview and slips into biblical illiteracy, rank paganism, and other things, that our inborn natural sinful nature runs counter to the very principles uh, that are the pillar uh, concepts behind the United States Constitution and uh, and the American uh, and the American government. As a result of it is as the Christian church loses its message, becomes marked by biblical illiteracy, or worse, heresy, then what will happen is, is that, uh, that the, the, basically we run the risk of being enslaved by a tyrannical uh, governmental system. Uh, because people wouldn't have the moral, the understanding of right and wrong and of transcendent truth regarding good and evil to uh, to give them the mental framework to vote against or fight against, uh, you know, a tyrannical uh, you know, governmental systems that would come into play. So as Christ, as the church becomes sick, anemic, doctrinally inept, biblically illiterate, as the church gets sicker and sicker and sicker, we run the risk of literally trading in our freedoms that we have that are guaranteed in the Constitution for governmental slavery to a totalitarian uh, evil dictatorship. I'm just, you know, I, I, and I think you can historically make the case that that's what occurred in Europe in the 20th century. And uh, we're making the same, same mistakes. So, again, I ask the question, who benefits from a Christianity that is biblically illiterate, lacks doctrinal depth, and has no theological rigor? Not, not anybody or anything that is truly an ally or friend of Jesus Christ. Something to think about. 
Okay, what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I got an email from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Um, he, um, I think it's safe to say that he did not enjoy <laughs> the uh, recent uh, sermon that I interview, uh, reviewed uh, by Phil Pringle. Um, <laughs> in fact, there's words that Pastor Charmley used in this uh, in his email that I have, I quite frankly, I'm, I've never heard him use before, seen him use before. So I'm I'm kind of excited to share this particular email from Pastor Charmley. Um, I, we've I, have, y'all have I done a segment with Prophet Manasseh Jordan? There's a kid out there running around uh, who uh, Benny Hinn is um, promoting heavily. His he his name is Prophet Manasseh, and this kid is a charlatan. He is basically, you know, he, basically he's a money grubbing con man. I, I think that's safe to say. We're we're gonna be listening to a little bit of audio from a video from. Uh, Prophet Manasseh, who 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 is giving people the opportunity to have him pray for, him. yeah, you, you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. By the way, okay, and then um, let's see here. Um, I've got uh, Rick Warren news. Apparently, Rick Warren is traveling abroad, and he is in Rwanda. And uh, I've got a news story that was filed by AllAfrica dot com uh, regarding Rick Warren calling for harmony between churches in in Africa and Rwanda weird language coming out of uh, Rick Warren there in Rwanda which by the way if you uh, if you were to look up Rwanda and purpose driven you would find news stories that claim that Rwanda is the first purpose driven nation purpose driven na- what is that what is a purpose driven nation hmm interesting terms anyway and then i've got a uh, a Perry Noble update apparently per- uh, this past sunday Perry Noble repented of some things that he's done in the past. And so the the name of the segment, I've named it Perry, Re- Perry Noble Repents, sort of. And we're going to look at one of the things that he repented of and uh, take a look at that with a little bit more <clears throat> scrutiny and uh, see what it is that he was uh, repenting of and apologizing for and then run the tape to see historically if that's what made sense or if there's some more repenting that he needs to be doing there. And uh, and then our sermon review today. Um, first time I've I, I can recall. I went back through the archives and I had I had checked to see if I had ever done a sermon review on anger management. But apparently, this is my first ever sermon that I'm going to be reviewing that claims to be about anger management, and it's using it kind of as its. Um, uh, theme, the Angry Birds theme. So, y- y'all familiar with this particular game? Yeah, fun game, by the way. I, I have it on my iPhone. I, I play it from time to time when I'm bored. But So my very first ever sermon that's supposedly about anger management using the uh, Angry Birds theme uh, from, uh, is it, yeah, it's David Crank out there at Faith Church in St. Louis that's uh, giving us this <clears throat> sermon on anger management because, you know, everybody knows that anger management is one of the primary categories of sound biblical doctrine. In fact, you know, 
if you were to look it up in a systematic theology, I think that systematic theology would point out, you know, you got the doctrine of total depravity or original sin. You can talk about uh, biblical anthropology and a man prior to the fall and after the fall. Uh, you could talk about Christology. And then right after the section on Christology and the doctrine of the Trinity, and, you know, you would find a, a, in a standard systematic theology, you would find anger management. <clears throat> yeah, anyway. <laughs> take my tongue out of my cheek. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. If you would like to make yourself comfortable, please do kick up your feet. If uh, weather permits, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. And, and if you're wondering as to whether or not I practice what I preach, that the answer is yes, I do. I have a very well-worn, very well-worn pair of uh, fuzzy bunny slippers now. And from time to time, I photograph uh, you know, myself in studio with the fuzzy bunny slippers on while watching different things on the Pirate Christian Radio production computer. Uh, recently, I sent out a, uh, a, they call it, is it a twit pic? Is that what they call that thing out on Twitter? And uh, I, 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 Seiko Woods, uh, you know, who, uh, who runs a, a radio program, out there in Houston, Seiko Woods, he's a African-American pastor of a small congregation, I think a home church, but uh, he does a radio program. He sent me um, he sent me a uh, free DVD set of The Elephant Room 2, and so I sent out a twit pic of me wearing my fuzzy bunny slippers while watching Elephant Room 2. So uh, thank you to Seiko Woods for that. Uh, and he, by the way, he got that as like a, an extra bonus. I, I forget, He gave me the details. I forget exactly how that went. But uh, so, you know, we weren't supporting the uh, elephant machine there uh, by having him send me the DVDs. But the good news is, is that while I was watching the DVDs here at the Pirate Christian Radio Studio uh, in uh, central Indiana, I was not threatened with arrest. Um, while watching Elephant Room 2 in the privacy of my own property. So it's just something to keep in mind. But anyway, uh, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. Keep in mind, uh, fighting for the faith has been known to decrease productivity. So if you have something that you need to do and you're going to be multitasking while listening to fighting for the faith, just be warned, productivity levels do go down. And so if your boss is you know, is watching your numbers You've got to be careful while listening to Fighting for the Faith and working at the same time. And, of course, if you'd like to enjoy an adult beverage, we do not have a problem with that. Keep in mind the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. You do not want to become enslaved to a good gift that God has given us. That's just silly. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. Okay, from all the way across the pond... Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, uh, who lives in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> He's using words in here I've never seen him use before. The, the, subject, letting, the subject heading is, Phil Pringle is a twit. <laughs> I don't think he liked that sermon. So uh, Jake Elliott uh, down there in Australia, I think he would uh, he would agree with uh, Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Charmley. So the uh, the subject heading for the email from Pastor Charmley reads, "Phil Pringle is a twit." I'm sure that's not a good thing. Uh, dear Chris, imagine my surprise as I heard Phil Pringle in his "God Creates with Words" sermon, and he has he has those um, <clears throat> quotation marks sermon, refer to a particular silly liberal speculative misreading of the Song of Solomon. I cannot imagine anything less faithful to the biblical narrative than the idea that Solomon is the villain 
who is coming between the rustic couple. Solomon is never presented as a villain in the Bible, though he is presented as a king who ultimately fails to be faithful to the covenant with God. And in post-biblical literature and in the uh, in the Septuagint, he is, rep- is presented even more positively. Indeed, nothing could be more certain than the understanding of the Song of Solomon presented by Pringle is the product of a modern Western understanding that finds the idea of Solomon's love for a woman being celebrated distasteful in the light of his harem. This is a curious example of cultural myopia. Um, The fact that we do not find it easy to think of Solomon as having been celebrated in this way does not mean that an ancient Israelite would not. As the well-worn quotation says, the past is another country. They do things differently there, and if we add to that the fact that they are dealing with the past of another country (laughs) itself, you know, know, uh, well, we shall realize that we have to tread carefully. I heard of this idea in seminary, and I find that it is briefly dealt with by a few commentaries of the more liberal stripe, which rather assumingly reject it. To say that it is highly unlikely to be the key to the book is an understatement. It is completely impossible. A.S. Herbert, in Peake's Commentary, 1962, Thomas Nelson Press, notes that the idea displays more ingenuity than fidelity to the biblical text and requires us to think that the book is, in effect, a secular drama of a type unknown in the ancient Semitic world. What is more, the bride is called Shalomite, or Shalomith, probably a feminine form of Solomon's own name. She is presented as his counterpart, the one who is made for him. Probably the work comes from the early life of Solomon and may represent his first marriage. So a bad interpretation of the book is then badly allegorized. I, I mean, there's a standard allegorical understanding of the Song of Solomon. That is one thing. But to take a speculative, literal understanding and then to allegorize that is just criminal. I mean, talk about complete idiocy. If he was trying to give the worst possible supposed exegesis of the Song of Solomon, I don't think that he could do any worse. So there you go, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward. Apparently he's not a big fan of Phil Pringle. And, you know, he brings up a point, and and one that I don't even think I commented on is that, you know, his... It, weird, bizarre interpretation of the Song of Solomon. I had never even heard of it before myself and wasn't even sure what to do with it, so I f- figured it best to not really comment on it. But Pastor Charmley, having read this particular liberal, weird interpretation, allegorized interpretation of a strange interpretation, um, he was familiar with it. So, uh, Pastor Charmley, thank you for the email, and uh, thank you for uh, you know que- uh, queuing us in. I I'd never seen you use the word twit before, which, of course, got my attention. But uh, anytime I get an email from Pastor Charmley, it gets my attention worth passing along. Okay, what we're going to do right now is we're, uh, you know what? I'm going to do this before the break. I'm going to, yeah, I was tempted to take a break, but here, here's what I'm going to do here. Let's From the website allafrica.com, headline reads, Rwanda, Rick Warren calls for harmony between churches what a strange headline this is by maria uh, katisi uh, uh dateline uh, march 22nd 2012 so i mean that's today uh, it, from uh, rwanda 
Um, Mar- Maria writes, she says, visiting American evangelist Rick Warren yesterday urged leaders of religious denominations in the country to work together. <clears throat> is is he the pope of the uh, of the churches in um, Rwanda? I'm curious. Warren authored one of the most popular Christian literature, The Purpose Driven Life, and is the founder of Saddleback Church based in the United States. He made the call during a meeting with over 100 senior church leaders from eight Christian denominations across the country. Quote, togetherness can bring health to this nation. Churches should therefore unite. Religious leaders should love one another since we are all on the same team and are one family, Warren said. The famous evangelist was uh, partly in the country to attend the Presidential Advisory Council, a.k.a. PAC, which ended on Tuesday in his capacity as President Paul uh, Kagame's advisor. Warren also called on the leaders to reach out to other nations and tribes, adding that there are 3,800 tribes in the world without a church, with 400 of them in the Sudan. The clerics were also called upon to think bigger and to have a big vision despite the size of their churches or or nation. What on earth is he talking about? So Rick Warren basically is his role to uh, a presidential advisor. Uh, he's the advisor to President Paul Kagame in Rwanda and in his role, he's calling on churches to, well, unite, to have big vision and to think bigger. Mm-hmm. He added that no one in the world is better qualified to preach the message of reconciliation than Rwandans because of what they had gone through. Warren said that God has his hand on Rwanda and can turn the pain of genocide into an army of reconciliation. Retired Anglican Archbishop Emmanuel Kalini, who is also the president of the Rwanda Purpose Driven Ministries Peace Plan, said that it was remarkable to see different religious denominations come together. Quote, these days churches are competing with each other and are building small kingdoms, but our emphasis here is to bring the church in Rwanda to unity as one parish. There are no denominations in heaven, so we should also serve as one, Kalini said. Hmm. You know, just, um, yeah. Um, so basically, all the doctrinal differences and distinctives don't matter. Everybody's right. We should all just be one parish. Unity, 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 peace, peace, peace. Okay, Um, so he urged religious leaders to mentor young people who will be the leaders in the next generation. Elder Hesron Biringiru, who who represented the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Rwanda, said the message of togetherness is an inspiration to the church in Rwanda. Yeah, by the way, um, I've got a huge problem with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I mean, they are a very legalistic, almost cult-like in many aspects, uh, denomination. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with somebody in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? I mean, if you don't worship on Saturday, well, you're 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 not saved. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. So I should consider myself one parish with somebody like the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
Hmm. Next quote, quote, differences in churches are always there, but we should have one common message to promote, which is love. The best church in the world is that of love, unity, and reconciliation, he said. <clears throat> so the one message that all churches should have in common is the message of love, unity, and reconciliation. Hmm. Where, where'd the gospel go? Because um, the message that the church has been called to preach is repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, see Luke chapter 24 if you're a little confused about this. And if you're not sure what the gospel is, well, cross-reference that with like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that says that, you know, Paul passed on what was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was crucified, raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You, you get what I'm saying here? So, um, just weird to me. I mean, the news coming out, so Rick Warren's in Africa, he's in Rwanda, basically using his role as the advisor to the president of Rwanda and to call on for harmony in all the churches and basically, listen, all those doctrinal distinctives out there, yeah, listen, there's always going to be differences in doctrine and theology, but we need to promote one message, and that's love and unity and reconciliation. I can't unite with a church that says that's the one message we're supposed to be preaching because the, you know Jesus himself said that we're to proclaim we're to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The one message we're called to proclaim is the gospel that Christ was crucified for our sins and raised on the third day. Um love, unity and reconciliation um doesn't sound like the gospel to me. In fact, love is the command of the law. I got to love God and love neighbor and since I don't do that perfectly. That's the thing that condemns me. Hmm. Just weird. Weird. Um, you know, what is this new unity message that we're hearing and where did it come from? Doesn't sound quite biblical to me. So I won't be uniting with any churches that decide that that's the thing that we need to be doing. And um, I, even though I, you know, all this talk about, you know, let's all be one parish, let's all be one. Yeah, I can't unite with Christians whose lack of biblical understanding would lead them to think that the one message we're to proclaim is love, unity, and reconciliation. Sorry, yeah, I won't be uniting with those churches. In fact, I will be making a point of having disunion with uh, those types of people who call themselves Christians in those particular churches. I don't see any common ground at all. In fact, that doesn't sound like Christianity. That sounds like a different religion altogether. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
Theater presents Church Day Select. Siri, what are the chances of hearing Rick Warren actually rightly handle and correctly teach God's Word? That will take some serious number crunching in order to figure out. I'm not a cray supercomputer, I'm just an iPhone. Are you sure you want me to calculate that? Yes, I'd like you to try to calculate that. Okay, I'll give it my best shot. Calculating. 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 Ouch, my processor chip hurts. Calculating. Calculating. Okay, I think I've got the answer. Here you go. There is a better chance that Harold Camping will predict the end of the world and there is of you hearing the Bible rightly taught by Rick Warren. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Uh, warning, we can't unite with Christian churches who think that the message we're supposed to proclaim is unity. It's true. The message is the gospel. And just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, normally we use this music for a Patricia King-like update. I'm beginning to think this guy should be an honorary member of the Patricia King gang. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen Prophet Manasseh's channel on YouTube, just go to youtube.com forward slash Prophet Manasseh. 
Uh, this is a slick character. He reminds me of um, Lando Calrissian from uh, <laughs> from the Star Wars movies, or you know, or, or a guy who's trying to uh, conjure up the appearance of a well dressed Michael Jackson type. But this guy is a con. That is the this guy is a money grubbing con. Here, listen in. The accuracy is uncanny. There's no way, no way, naturally, this man of God would have known. Prophetic in him is scary. It's incredible to see how God is using a young man in our generation. The prophetic in him is scary. That would be Benny Hinn. My heart just touched. It was an amazing experience. This man is really called by God. I, I've never experienced something like it before. It was just amazing. The name of the program, by the way, is The Prophet's Touch. Oh, man. Stay tuned. You are watching The Prophet's Touch. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is when the Bible declares, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. What is the Bible saying? It's talking about prayer. Now, listen, I want you to. Uh huh. No, no. <clears throat> Notice the fast talking going on here. It's talking about prayer. No, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That would be the righteousness of God. It's not talking about prayer there. Hear what I'm saying. Don't, don't move that remote. Don't get up from this television screen because you can miss what God's about to do for you. Oh, no, I wouldn't want that to happen. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? I don't want to miss what God's about to do for me. Now, hear what I'm saying. Okay, I'm listening. God spoke to me early this morning. He did? What did it sound like? All during this week. I really? All week, too? Man, that never happens to me. About this prayer closet. and About a what? your name is missing i want you to call that number under the screen because you are asking god to give you some things you're asking god maybe it's for a loved one maybe it's for a healing in your body i want to pray for you there's power in prayer when we touch and agree whatever matter whatever situation that you're going yeah sorry i'm not gonna let you touch or agree with me <laughs> doesn't sound good through god is going to fix it let me tell you what happens when you call that number Okay, what happens? And join my prayer closet. And join his... <laughs> Have you joined Prophet Manasseh's prayer closet? Mm-hmm. I begin to start seeking the Lord on your behalf. I no, really? Oh, man, I'm so glad you do that for me because I couldn't do it myself. I begin to start praying prayer praying fervently over you over your finances over your loved ones and as i'm praying the holy spirit begins to start revealing things to me really yeah okay wow while i'm praying he'll just reveal things he'll tell me information how, how expensive is that watch that you're wearing by the way and then i let you know what god is saying saints hear what i'm saying you might be going through a debt situation God. A debt? Oh, a debt? Are you going through a debt situation? Well, he's. Don't miss the opportunity to join Prophet Manasseh's prayer closet. He's going to take care of it. You might be going through some trouble in your life. I do not want you to miss this opportunity. Yeah, 
I, I don't want to miss this opportunity either. What do I do? What do I do? I don't want to. I'll, this opportunity may not come around again. I feel I'm feeling like sales pressure put on me. Don't miss this. All you, I want you to do, I want you to run to that phone line, and uh-huh. I want you to pick up that phone and say, Prophet Manasseh, I, I need you need to have my information because I need you to pray over me. Yeah, so there you go. You don't want to miss that opportunity. I mean, because, I mean, an opportunity like that just rarely comes around. I mean, the opportunity for a, a you know, um, a prophet to pray for you, you know, because if, yeah, and the way you do it is you join his prayer closet and you have to call the number to do that. So, <laughs> again, that kid is a money grubbing con. You, you think for a second God talks to him in his prayer closet? I mean, you don't want to miss that opportunity though, but you know, it's just something to keep in mind there. Anyway, moving along. It really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. And it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as I say it with a flare. First I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and poppycock and fix you with my best hypnotic stare. With my moans and groans and soporific tones, they have cheered me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, I said it when I tell it with a scene. Yeah, there we go. All right, so that's our Perry Noble update. Now, if you are not a regular listener to uh, Perry Noble's sermons, <laughs> I am a regular listener to Perry Noble's sermons. This is kind of sad and, and true. But anyway, um, <clears throat> this past week, uh, Perry Noble preached about repentance, which, by the way, is a fine, fine biblical topic and you know and i gotta give perry noble a little bit of credit okay and what what i mean by that is is that it's been a while since i've done a full-blown perry noble sermon review the reason is this is it's clear and evident to me that perry noble is putting more work into his sermons than he has in the past that doesn't mean that his sermons are not problematic they are he still preaches about himself constantly but this past week he was preaching about repentance and he was using the occasion of the story of Nebuchadnezzar, I think from Daniel chapter 3, to talk about the need for personal repentance and he decided rather than just talk about it that he would model it himself and talk about some things that he's recently repented of. And so what I wanted to do was, well, give Perry Noble the opportunity to fully repent. And so the reason I'm saying he he needs to fully repent is because he glossed what it is that he said that he was repenting of, and he missed some vital stuff that I think is important. And I'm not trying to be nitpicky, because what I am going to be pointing out here is actually very important that he repent of. And so, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play audio from this past week's sermon first. 
Then I'm going to go back in time. We're going to whirl up the uh, the uh, our Back to the Future time machine. We're going to go back in time to the sermon that he preached that he's referencing, that he said something that he needed to repent of, so that we can hear for ourselves what it is that he said to ascertain as to whether or not he fully repented or only sort of repented and if there's more details that he needs to be addressing. So uh, without any further ado, here is uh, uh, Perry Noble preaching week six of his sermon series entitled Overwhelmed. The sermon is how to change the course of my life in an instant. Here's Perry Noble talking about his need to repent of some things. Here we go. I'm not going to tell you to repent. I'm going to try my best to model repentance for you. And at the end of the day, I don't give a crap if you admire me, but I want you to do what I do today when it comes to repentance. I want you to feel the freedom in a church where a pastor gets up and says, I wasn't okay, I still struggle with some things, I want you to feel the freedom to know it's okay for you to not be okay, and I want to repent before this entire church and ask your forgiveness for about four things. Now, some of you probably have a list of about 50 things that I could go over. I've just got four, okay? I don't have a lot of time today. And so I, I'm just going to sit down. I'm just going to talk to you. If you're here, brand new at New Spring today, um, maybe you should come back next week. This is, this is, we don't normally do stuff like this, but I, I do want to talk to my church today and just share with you, um, ask, ask for your forgiveness and tell you I'm sorry for about four things. Number one, I need to repent of attempting to drive you and not lead you. I need to repent trying to drive you or attempting to drive you and not lead you. I want to say I'm sorry. Let me set this up. I am, let me go back to the workout illustration. I'm a pretty intense guy. And so um, I think everybody that works out should be intense as well. I can't stand to go to the gym and watch people sit on a machine for five minutes. I can't stand to watch people talk on their cell phone while they're on the treadmill. If you can talk on your cell phone while you're on the treadmill, you're not doing it right. Like you should not even be able to carry on a conversation and there's people like, oh yes, that was it. That's not a workout, sweetheart. Uh, anyway, I, it's mostly women, all right? I'm not being judgmental, I'm just saying it is. So I think people ought to be as intense sometimes as I am. And a lot of times that's gotten me in a lot of trouble, especially in the way I lead the church. You know, New Spring Church over the past 12 years, we've experienced what most people would call some success. Now, listen to what you're about to hear uh, in this little segment. If you go think back to Tuesday's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I made it clear from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that numerical growth is not always the indicator of success in the church because we're called to preach the word in season and out of season. There's going to be times when it's not seasonable, fashionable, or whatever to preach the word of God. It could get you in a lot of trouble. So numerical success does not gauge whether or not a church is successful. Listen to this. And we're running 17,000 people. We've got seven campuses. Now, I know the pushback here. Are you saying that growth equals success? Well, in every other organization in, in the world it does. I'm just saying 
First of all, the answer to the question is yes. Because if Jesus Christ has came to life, if the tomb is empty, if he died for the sins of mankind, if he rose from the grave, if he commissioned us, if we have the power of the Holy Spirit every time we get together, then to gather together as a group of believers and expect nothing to happen on a consistent basis is inconsistent with the scriptures. Uh, wait a second. You know, just because I attend a church that has less than 17,000 people in it doesn't mean that when I show up to church that I show up with the expectation that God isn't going to do anything. In fact, I have quite a few expectations of God, and God miraculously shows up Sunday after Sunday in the small congregation that I am a member of and help serve at. And so we got a problem here. And, uh, you know, he's you basically giving a philosophical argument, not a biblical argument, as if somehow Christ's death and resurrection implies automatically numerical success. It doesn't. Because God is the one who regenerates people. Sometimes his word goes out and it judges people rather than brings them to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. God's word is successful no matter where it goes, either to regenerate or to condemn. That's not biblical. So yes, I would say the Lord has blessed us, but listen... It hasn't necessarily been because of me. In most cases, I think it's been in spite of me because I think one of the mistakes I've made as a leader over the past 12 years is I have not been as patient with you as Jesus has been with you. I've not been as patient with you, let me put it this way, as Jesus has been with me. Okay, this is a perfectly fine confession of sins, and we got we got to give him credit for this. Yeah, you're right, Perry. You haven't. And I would add to that, when you call bloggers or people who offer substantive biblical critique jackasses, or the person who says they want to go deeper in God's word a jackass, that would be indicative of this behavior. And I want to tell you that I'm sorry. I, I do not want to apologize for bold leadership. I do not want to apologize for the vision of this church. This church is going this direction. We are going to reach 100,000 people. I hope you're on board. I will not apologize for casting that vision clearly and passionately. I will not do that. I cannot do that. I won't apologize for casting vision. Where in the Bible does it say that pastors are to cast vision? Where? Give me a single verse. You should be repenting of that. It's not a biblical practice. It's not a part of the pastoral office. I've told you for years, the vision is not for sale, that we're going to reach 100,000 people, whatever it takes, and we are on a trail to do that. But here's the thing I know. Some people are excited about that, and some people are not. And if you're not, I'm saying this lovingly, this might not be the place for you. But if you are, I would challenge you to pray and get as involved as you can. And here's why. This is, oh my gosh, I screwed this up so bad. Sometimes my passion allows me to go or takes me places that I should not go. And so about a year and a half ago from this stage, maybe two years ago, I said something very insensitive that should not have been said. And I want to apologize for it. I said from this stage something along the lines of, 
You need to get involved in this church. And there are people that you've gone through ownership class or membership class, and you have not been volunteering, or you volunteered and you dropped out. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the membership role, and if you're not volunteering and you're not going to volunteer, we're purging you from the role. I'm sorry. All right. Now, we're going to pause right there. He just apologized and said he was sorry. However, the details matter. Let's um, pull up our uh, flux capacitor here. Um, I've got to open the time circuits. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back in time to uh, August 15th, 2010. And let's show up for the uh, evening service there. Let me enter. There we go. Okay, so we got the time circuit set up here. Uh, Y'all might want to put your seatbelt on. We are going to get up to 88 miles an hour and go back in time. Here we go. All right, there we go. Now, the, the irony here is that uh, the sermon series we're going to be listening to um, is uh, entitled I Love the 80s. Yeah, back in 2010, Perry Noble preached a sermon series entitled I Love the 80s. The sermon we're going to be listening to, or the tail end of it during the prayer time, is the name of the sermon is Saved People Serve People. And let's listen to Perry Noble make the offending statement so that we can get some of the details about what he said so we can see whether or not his apology is hitting the mark. So uh, with that, here's Perry Noble. If we'll step outside these walls and become the servants that Jesus called us to be, it will change this world. We're called to step up and serve. Let's pray. Jesus... Thank you, thank you so much for today, for your grace and your mercy. Cue sappy music. Here's the invitation. It's a little different tonight. First of all, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, as you leave right outside these walls, right outside those back doors, there's a guest services desk. I would love for you to stop by there tell them, hey, I want to know more about a relationship with Jesus. Or if you just have any basic questions about the sermon tonight, you stop by there and somebody would love to meet with you, pray with you, chat with you. But for the rest of us, here's the invitation. Get out your bulletin. And in your bulletin, just do it right now. You can open your eyes. You can't do this with your head bowed and eyes closed. I know it's hard. Get out your bulletin. In your bulletin, you got a little card that looks like this. I want you to look at it. little card that looks like this at the top it says I want to be an owner and will attend ownership class we don't have membership class we have an ownership class because members have rights but owners have what responsibilities okay gonna pause there for a second I'm gonna ask a silly question as somebody who spent time in the corporate world and has owned businesses in fact you know it's something I've done um, and I've also purchased stock in different companies throughout my lifetime um what I've noticed is is that Whenever I've been an owner of a company, I've not only had responsibilities, but I've also had rights. In fact, it, you know, as a stockholder in different companies, um, I, as an owner, had the right 
to have a say in some of the decisions that were being made. So my question is, is that, you know, when Perry Noble says to the folks there at New Spring that they're owners and not members, um, any company that I've ever been an owner of, I've had rights. My question is, what rights do the owners of New Spring have? And since they're owners and not members, also, are they um, subject to, you know, any legal ramifications as owners? A lot of times if somebody gets, you know, if a company gets sued, well, the owners are liable. You understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, this is a fair question, but, you know, interesting language that he's using here. You're not members of our church, you're owners. Now, listen to what he says here. Some of you have been coming to New Spring for a long time. You ain't never attended an ownership class. God's called you to be involved in this church. You check right there. And we've got this live going on in Anderson tomorrow night. I'm teaching it. For those of you that have been through the ownership class before, it's brand new material. I mean, the vision hasn't changed, but some of the content has changed. If you'd love to swing by, you can. You can just put your name. But what we're asking everybody to do is check. And if you can't go there, they got one in Greenville on Thursday night. You put your name, you put your phone number, how many people you'll be bringing with you, including children, first and last names and the ages of your kids. You sign up. We're going to have a packed house tomorrow night. I can't wait. You sign up right now. This is the invitation. But for the rest of us, and let me just say this. I made this announcement this morning, so our campus has just found out about this today. I didn't tell anybody till today because God didn't tell me till this morning. Okay, now, whoa, 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 did you hear that? So he's about to make an announcement, and he didn't tell anybody because God didn't tell him until this morning. That is the critical piece of data. What Perry Noble is about to say, he just said God told him that morning to do this. Which then begs the question, what exactly was he apologizing for and repenting of? Because when he made the statement, he claimed that God told him to do what he's about to do. Listen carefully. But at the bottom, there's a thing that says, I'm already an owner. I mean, you've already gone through a membership class and you've already signed the covenant. I don't volunteer, but I'm ready to serve. Please fill out your info below, your name and your phone number. And just get involved. I want everybody to listen to me. I say this unapologetically. If you've gone through a class, but you're not actively serving in ministry, I love you and I'm glad you're here tonight. But you're a liar. Because you signed the covenant that said you would. So what we're doing with all of our current members is we're giving them till December to get involved. And then if you, in December, we're purging the membership roles of all people that are not active in ministry. You can attend New Spring, but you can't call yourself a member anymore because we're purging the roles. And remember, he just said that God told him to do that that morning. This, listen, and I'm not being mean. All I'm doing is allowing you to not lie to Jesus anymore. Because the book of Ecclesiastes says it's better to have never made a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. I'm just asking you to do what you said you would do and step up. Because listen, if you don't do it, the church will be fine. 
But you will never become the person that Jesus has called you to be. You will never develop until he, until he wants you to be because saved people serve people. So you fill it out and let's get involved because listen, we got a city to reach. We've got a gospel to preach. We've got a world to change. And found people, find people. Save people, serve people. So church, let's get busy doing all we can. I love you. Mm, so let's get busy. Now, let me review again. Who is it that he attributes this strategy to? That what he's about to say, who does he attribute this to? Again, here's Perry Noble. I made this announcement this morning, so our campus has just found out about this today. I didn't tell anybody till today because God didn't tell me till this morning. So when he made that announcement, he claimed that God told him that morning to say what he said. That being the case, how can he apologize for what he said? Was it not God who told him to say it? Is Perry Noble at this point willing to admit he didn't hear from God on August 15th, 2010? That it was himself and not God who told him to say those things? See, here he is apologizing for what he said. But the problem is, is that when he said it, he said that God told him to say it. We've got a big problem. Let me back up the audio here. We're going back to last Sunday. We're back in the present. Here's Perry Noble again apologizing for what he said, but leaving out an important detail. Sometimes my passion allows me to go or takes me places that I should not go. And so about a year and a half ago from this stage, maybe two years ago, I said something very insensitive that should not have been said, and I want to apologize for it. I said from this stage something along the lines of, you need to get involved in this church, and there are people that you've gone through ownership class or membership class, and you have not been volunteering, or you volunteered and you dropped out. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the membership role, and if you're not volunteering and you're not going to volunteer, we're purging you from the role. I'm sorry. Yeah, but you said that God told you to say that. So did God tell you to say that or not? If God told you to say that, then how can you be apologizing? Or maybe you should be apologizing and saying, I'm sorry that I blame that on God. I thought I heard from him, but I didn't. That was wrong. I put my staff in a bad position. I put our church in a bad position. Well, you said that God told you to, to say that. And I've represented Jesus horribly in that moment but you said that he's the one who told you to say that because that's not who he is i am sorry if you were hurt i am sorry if you were offended because people that had volunteered that wanted to get back in volunteering if you did it after that sunday you probably did it out of guilt and guilt is not a great motivator for anything it was more than guilt. They did it because they felt that if they didn't do it, they were actually going against God himself. Because you said God told you that that morning. Everything we do in life, we need to do it because we're radically and passionately in love with Jesus. 
I tried to drive you to volunteer instead of leading you there. And I'm sorry. I really am. Yeah, and you blamed it on God. Are you going to apologize for that? That's actually the breaking of the commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So on the one hand, I'm happy that Perry Noble is publicly repenting and asking for forgiveness for some of the things that he's done. At the On the other side of this, though, I'm not happy about the fact that he's not fessing up and addressing the very thing he should be apologizing for, because it wasn't just that he was driving them rather than leading them, but he was doing so by invoking God speaking directly to him as if he's a prophet. And see, if that's the case, if God really did tell him that morning that he needed to do that, then he can't apologize, can he? But if he's going to apologize for what he said, it, part of that needs to be, no, God didn't tell me that. Otherwise, it's not really repenting because he's not addressing the real root of the problem. And the real root of the problem is, is he claims prophetically to hear from God. And when he told people he was going to purge them from the rolls, he did so by invoking God and claiming that God told him to say that. You see the problem? Yeah, it's a big problem. So on the one hand, we will rejoice over the fact that God appears to be convicting Perry of his sins, and we will pray that God continues to do so, so that he repents and knows that he's forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. But as far as I'm concerned, when somebody claims to be hearing from God, and it turns out that they're not, that at that point makes them a false prophet. All right, we are up on our second break, and when we come back, we're going to be doing a sermon review on a sermon about anger management based on supposedly, you know, the, at least the, the name of the sermon has something to do with the game Angry Birds. So uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Now, I may be wrong, but I think this is the first time I've ever reviewed a sermon that overtly attempts to teach anger management, with the theme being the video game Angry Birds. I I may not be able to control my temper during this sermon, just want to let you know that. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon, part one and part two, come to us via Faith Church in St. Louis. David Crank presiding the name of the sermon, Catapult Angry Birds. Or maybe it's Catapult Angry Birds. I don't know. All I know is that this is the first sermon I've seen based on the video game Angry Birds and claims to be about anger management. Again, you can find it in your Bible, in your systematic theology or your Christian dogmatics text, right after the section on Christology and soteriology. Yeah, just Really, trust me, just look it up. <laughs> anyway, hang on a second here. I'm just going to get right into it. I, yeah, Again, there's a good chance I may lose my temper during this sermon. So I just want to let you all know that. I will not be practicing good anger management skills while listening to an anger management sermon. I just find that to be against my religion. So, all right, let me kill the music here. So without any further ado, here is David Crank, Faith Church, St. Louis, Ang- Catapult, Angry Birds. Here we go. We're in this series called Catapults, and today we're going to be talking about catapulting your anger and anger management is something that we all struggle with. Anybody in here ever been angry, oh, ticked off? Man, like, yeah, I can feel myself getting that way right now. Off, hacked off, up to here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all have. I think it's hereditary, partially. I, I grew up, and it, don't, don't judge me on this because I've never went here in my sermon, but we're going there. Um, Some of y'all will be like, no way. Dude, this is a Springer show when I tell you what happened. So, you know, my my grandpa, a Teamster here in St. Louis, go Teamsters, you know, and drove the truck, the whole deal. He loves my grandma, Mabel Maxine. He is Henry Harmon. That's where I came from. And uh, they can't get along. My dad tells me growing up that my grandpa would get so mad and she would get so mad and 
She would leave, and then they would get back together, and they would go to a place downtown to make up called Crown Candy. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> Woo, that's good, huh? And that'll, that'll fix it right there. And so year after year after year, finally my grandpa retires. He's done. So he moves to a little town called Dexter, Missouri. Anybody know the Boot Hill of Missouri? He lives in Dexter. He invents this trailer court where he starts out with the first trailer, begins to build on and charge people rent and all this kind of stuff. So he marries this girl, lady, uh, her name was Birdie, <laughs> Birdie, which is perfect for this series. I said, I'm bringing Birdie back on this series. So he marries Birdie, and, and I'm sure Birdie's a great person, but my dad never liked Birdie because after all, you know, maybe she, my dad shouldn't be married to anyone else. Why is he married to Birdie? So we never went down there much. Now, the story gets even better than this. My grandma loves my grandpa. Grandpa loves grandma, but they can't live together. So she decides she's going to move to Dexter, and there's no hanky-panky going to go on or anything like that. But she's actually going to rent the trailer from my grandpa right next door to Birdie. Why are you telling us this story? Oh, man. Come on. I told you this gets gross. <laughs> How many have ever watched the Springer show, but you didn't think it was your pastor going to be on um, Okay, so now my dad is trying to raise me differently, the different skill set, mindset. We live here in Sunset Hills in, in a nice home that my dad bought from the, the, the lead attorney from uh, Walmart. So we got to, every once in a while, he'd take us to go see him. So now I'm 15 years old and he decides we're going to go shoot guns. He's building a church over here in Fenton, need a little time off. So just he and I jump in his Corvette, running down the road. And, and my dad was the type, maybe you guys can understand this, that you didn't stop when you got in the car. You just went. You go there. That's it. And so he kept stopping, though. He'd stopped at friends. He kept stopping. I was wondering why he was stopping. Later, he tells me that he kept getting this, ah, don't go, don't go. But he kept overriding that. Make a mental note of that. Now, now we get down there. As soon as we get there, we go see Grandma over here at this trailer, hanging out with her. And then eventually we go across the street to Grandpa, and we see Birdie. Now, Birdie immediately starts talking to my dad and starting trouble. And my, and my dad, you got you to picture this. He's a Highway Patrol Academy, aggravated already, top-secret crypto in the armed forces, marksman. I mean, he's, he's just mad. His whole life, he's been mad. Sometimes we'd be driving down the road and somebody'd cut him off and then yell at him at a, at a red light. It's not uncommon for me to watch him get out of the car, roll down the rest of their window, and they're like, ah, 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 and he'd just yank their keys out. And they'd say, I'm going to call the cops. He'd go, I'm here. I've seen him take the keys and throw them in the middle of Telegraph or Lindbergh and say, you don't need to drive, mister. And so I thought that's just the way you do. And what you do, not a good idea. Doesn't work in relationship building. Doesn't work to be a pastor of the church. Just a quick question. Isn't man anger management classes, aren't those a punishment that a judge you know, gives you if you're, you have anger problems, doesn't, doesn't the judge say you have a choice, young man, you can either go to jail for 90 days or you can go to anger management classes. I, I'd go to jail, you know, just, in, you just want to let you know. So now we go inside and Birdie says, uh, why'd you bring all those guns down here? He said, we're going to go out and do some target shooting Birdie. See if you got to shoot your. What on earth does this have to do with the Bible? I have no idea. Yourself. She's like that. And I said, no. She said, no, really, you're going to shoot yourself. So my dad ensues a little battle with her for a second. 
He gets mad. We go outside. We walk down past all the trailers. We get out in the woods. My dad starts loading all his guns. He's always taught me about safety. And when he grabs all his guns, gets them all loaded, we're getting ready to shoot, he grabs the one Derringer that doesn't have a pistol guard, you know, whatever, a trigger guard. He shoves it in one of the holsters and shoots himself in the leg, goes down at his knee, blood everywhere. And he's got this look like, wow, that hurt. And I went, ah! Oh, because I watched John Wayne. Somebody dies when they get shot. So I'm screaming. He's like, calm down. Take me to the trailer. So we're hobbling to the trailer. He's bleeding all up in the trailer. And Bertie said, I told you, you were going to shoot yourself. My dad's like, go get my big gun, son. <laughs> no, I just put that part in there. <laughs> that would have been awesome. This, <laughs> this story would have really went to the next level. <laughs> Because I know what you're thinking. There's a pickup truck, a divorced girl, and a railroad track somewhere in this whole country music song. That's what's great about country music, isn't it? You can play it in reverse and get all your stuff back. Your dog back, your wife back. So now we go to Dexter Memorial Hospital saying there's a gunshot victim. They said, we don't know what to do with a gunshot victim. We've never had one. You need to get to St. Louis. So we drive my dad to the airport. They charter an airplane, and they fly my dad away. He's getting ready to go. I said, I'm going with you. He said, no. He said, now I'm 15. You can't drive. He said, uh, no, you're going to drive the Corvette back to St. Louis. And I said, okay. <laughs> oh, man. And that's where they wrote this song. I took the long way home. I get home. When I get home, my dad comes back from the hospital at Barnes. to show the x-ray. There's a bullet floating around in his leg, in his knee, which hurts really bad. I don't know if you've ever had a bullet in your knee, but it's not good. And he gives me this scripture that I'm about to read to you. 2 Timothy 2.24. He said, there's a lesson here, son. God's servant, shout, I am his servant, must not be argumentative, but gentle. A a gentle listener, a good teacher, a one who keeps a, a cool head. And the servant of the Lord must not strive or be quarrelsome. Instead, they, they must be kind to everyone and have a mild temper. He took me to another passage over in Proverbs, and it says, when you open the hedge and you get in strife or you get out of love, you allow your anger to start controlling your life, then the serpent bites. Now, now we know Satan comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We know that. But how he gets in is not obvious. He doesn't knock at the door and go, I'm Satan. I'm going to destroy your life today, and by 4 o'clock, you're going to have a bullet in your leg. We'd all go, not today, man. But he does it subtly. What he does is he causes us to start, instead of acting on the word and acting calmly and thinking about the situation, we react. And it's normal because of our fallen nature, we are impulsive. We are sinful. We do claim our own ways and our own rights, and they did me wrong. I have a right. And then we end up in the prison of our own mind, always agitated. That's why prison system is full today. I guarantee you right now, if we went to any prison in the state of Missouri, or for that matter, anywhere in America, and we went into six by nine with the... By the way, the Second Timothy passage technically is about pastors, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So the idea here is, is that <clears throat> patience and kindness are fruits of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> Anger management. Ugh. The guy who killed somebody or a girl that killed somebody, and we said, uh, how long have you been here? Been here for 20 years. I bet they've had a lot of time to sit there and think 
and go, if I had it to do all over again, I would have just let Bubba keep sleeping with her. If I had it to do all over again, I, I, I would just pass it by. I wouldn't allow the road rage to have gotten me. But sometimes we're always reacting instead of acting. Now, I, I, would, I, would, I would suggest you today to, to look at this mess that we've made. We were intentional about this mess. They were intentional about the smoke flying up. We got a real mess on your, our hands. Now, this already happened last night, and they rebuilt it. It happened already in this building this morning, and they rebuilt it. There's a crew of people that come, and they reset everything up, but it took time, and it took a team of people to reset it all. So your marriage very well might look like this today. Your business might look like this today, but it takes time, and with God's help, if you give it time and stop reacting and start acting in faith, you can get it back. You can rebuild your marriage again. Man, no, this isn't based on a biblical text. He's not doing exegetical preaching at all. This is just, I'm going to find a problem out there in the world and anger management. And we'll, we'll do a relevant theme to go with angry birds. And then we'll give people relevant life tips to help them with their anger management issues. Yeah, in this particular case, he's creating anger management problems for me. You can rebuild relationships again. You can get where God wants you to get, but you and I have to catapult our anger and say, wait a minute, you're not controlling me any longer. I'm going to control you. Give God praise today. For what? A, a life tip? <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 31, they'll put it on the screen. It says this, let all bitterness... Wrath, anger. Ang now notice, all imperatives, he's ripping them out of context, no indicatives about what Christ has done for us. Anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. If we want forgiveness, we have to be a forgiver. But that anger, man, it keeps coming up. Studies have proven Christian counselors report that over 50% of all the people who come in and they need counseling, they're dealing with anger somewhere. Shatters marriages, destroys credibility, cuts off communication, alienates your joy, your health, your happiness. You just go around mad and we continue to justify it instead of accepting that we need to deal with it. What about being forgiven by Christ's shed blood on the cross. Does that equal into your solution at all? Now, my dad kept me kind of from all that stuff. I didn't see Bertie a lot. Didn't see Grandma a lot. Didn't see Grandpa a lot. We lived in St. Louis, in Sunset Hills. They lived down there. Because my dad didn't want to overexpose me to that kind of behavior because he did not want to perpetuate that behavior in my own life. Because he thought that you would become what you were around. He was right. We learn to respond by the people we see model behavior around us the most. Here's the scary part about it. How many of y'all got kids? Raise your hand. You got kids. And do they ever do something and you're like, then that's, they got that from me. <laughs> Don't you love it when they do something that your other mate does and you're like, hey, he's acting like you. <laughs> kids will become the product of their environment. Uh, they're born sinful by nature. So what do we do about it? 
It's not a sin to be angry. In fact, Ephesians 4.26, in the same passage, he says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. See, you can be angry. It's a God-given uh, emotion that we have. It's okay to be angry. Jesus went in and he overturned all the money changers that day in the temple. And he said, you guys have, have turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves. And he got really violent, but he never got mad, never sinned. Because you can discipline yourself and discipline other people without sinning, yet be authoritative. And what if you've sinned? Do you got any good news for the people who've sinned? And Jesus did that. We sure hope he did it because if he was not the sinless Christ, we're all going to hell. How many of y'all believe that Jesus was the sinless son of the living God? He never sinned. Give God praise today. Why is that important? That's important. Why don't you, why don't you develop out that theology a little bit? So with that being said, it's okay to have anger as long as it's controlled anger. When you unleash your anger, sometimes you're unleashing uncontrolled damage. Control your anger. Good anger is when my dad died at 56 years old because he went to the doctor and they checked him out and said he has, you know, all these heart blockages and 56 years old, they're going to have to do open heart surgery. But come to find out they can't do open heart surgery because he's eat up with cancer. He tells me on his deathbed, part of the reason why I meet up with cancer is because I have all this anger towards, and he started listing people. He hated people. Some people were dead, and he wished, he told me, I could kill them. He's a pastor. I'm saying we, I come from that, that, that lineage of honesty. I, I want a pastor that's not up here saying, y'all ought to clean up and be like me. Listen, that guy's more jacked up than anybody. I'm still working on it. My dad was still working on it. Everybody's still working on it except Jesus. We're real. We got problems. So all that pent-up anger accelerates cancer. It's proven. It is a scientific fact. So, but, but when my aunt died and she was in her mid-50s, I got angry. I was like, what? All the people I love are dying. So I took charge of my own life, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I am not going to eat the things they were eating. I'm not going to do the things that they were doing because I don't want the outcome that they have had. So I got angry, but not mad at them and not mad at me. Just solid, good, strong anger. You are, and I often say, the cultural architect of your life. You decide where you live, how you live, how you think, the way you think, the people that you do life with. And whether or not you enjoy your life to the full or you just, you're just half ticked off all the time. Because there's always something that you and I can be ticked off about. If you come in looking for trouble, you'll find it. I, I want you to admit something with me. Have you ever been in a bad mood and you just went in to somebody that you love and you just started trouble? Come on, raise your hand. It should be everybody. You're looking for trouble. Because you just go in. And have you ever, and this is going to help you in your marriage right now, have you ever said something and you didn't even mean it? You just said it because you were just being mean. I'm going to try that one more time because I believe we have more congregants had the same problem that I do. One more time, would you join me? Have you ever said something that was jacked up? You knew it was a total sham and a lie, but you just wanted to stab them one time. Thank you. <laughs> because we don't mean it. 
sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I beg to differ. You and I both could go back to a place where a teacher or a coach... How is this a biblical sermon? I mean, seriously. Somebody that you love said something and they were mad and you still hear it in your head. This made you an angry bird. But I, I, I want to suggest to you today that if somebody said that you're a car because one night you fell asleep in the car in the garage, don't believe them. You are not a car. You are not what they said you are. You're who God says you are. And sometimes anger is perpetuated because we're angry with ourselves because we're so mad at me. Why do I always do that? Why? So now the only thing you can do is you will be and do who you are. And so if you think you're angry and the world's done you wrong, and we've all been done wrong. If we don't forgive as God has forgiven and even forgive ourselves, we'll just perpetuate anger. At some points, you need to just go and be honest with everybody and just tell them, hey, I'm sorry. I messed that up. I was breaking myself of lying. Still have trouble lying sometimes. Somebody asked me a question and it's just easier to tell them, hey, we were really busy. We couldn't go to the party. But sometimes it's just best to say, we totally didn't want to go. <laughs> we just, we just, you ever just wanted to go home and watch Talladega Nights or something? You know what I mean? Just cuddle up by the fireplace and not go. But for some reason, we lie about it. Just break yourself of that. When you're doing something that you shouldn't... Yeah, just break yourself of it. You know, come on, just stop. You know, just... All you need is good kick in the pants. That, that'll get, get you to stop sinning. Do to somebody, just tell them, you know what? I don't know why I did that. It was just totally wrong. You know what it'll do? It'll tear down walls. It'll make those people go, I love you. I can tell you why I love you. And I can tell you mostly why you love me. It's because you were looking for a preacher who didn't say, I have it all together. You were looking for a guy who said, man, I am trying to work on this, and I've discovered some principles out of the Bible, and we can all feel better about ourselves because... Yeah, I, I need a pastor who actually knows good, sound, biblical hermeneutics, exegesis, understands what the Bible's all about, understands the proper distinction of law and gospel, probably, know, you know, in fact, needs to know his uh, original languages, you know, maybe has a, a good, uh, well, did scored well at his seminary, has studied, showed himself approved, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, what is it? What, David, what are your qualifications again? Where did you, what seminary taught you how to mishandle God's word this way? Jesus loves us. He died for us. Yeah, he did. What does any of that mean in the context of the sermon? And for far so long, we've been trying to get it all built up. Well, I got to fix myself up so I can go to church. Got to get it all together. People watch us on television and go, apparently I don't have to get it all together because the pastor is jacked. I'm talking Springer style messed up. I make people feel good about themselves. They're like, man, we were like, leave it to Beaver compared to this guy. He's at the trailer when his dad shoots himself. That's just, that's freaky stuff right there. But I, I would suggest to you to also don't assume that people can read your mind. Which, by the way, aren't you glad? Come on, raise your hand. You're like, why would she wear that with that? Our guys, you know, still wear, I still wear a 34. Yeah, down here. <laughs> It's like a comedy routine. Guys are awesome, man. They can have a beer belly, dirty t-shirt, and still think, I'm sexy. 
but, 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 but wait a minute. People can't read our minds. Thank God they can't. But on the other side of mind reading is this. You got to tell people what you're thinking, but you don't have to do it when you're frustrated, mad, aggravated, disturbed, ticked off, exacerbated. And, ah! You got to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 4.15, it says this. It says, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Speak the truth in love. A lot of times... Is the context of that anger management, speaking the truth in love, was that the context? Look it up. The answer is no, it's not. Communication is the problem. We don't communicate properly. We communicate mad. We all have kids. I asked you a while ago, have you ever done things and said things that you were like, wow, I am too mad right now to even talk to you? Have you ever, if, if, you, if you discipline your child with a spanking or something, have you ever been in a situation where you knew today is not even the day I need to come near you with the belt? <laughs> Three, you're like, we don't beat our kids. Yeah, I know who they are. I saw them in the nursery a while ago. <laughs> My dad beat me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My dad pulled his belt off right in the middle of church. He'd be up preaching and be like, How great is our God. Sing with me how great. Hallelujah. Bam! Ah! It's our God. Go sit down, boy. It's just the way he rolled. Any man that shoot himself, she'll beat your hide. After he shot himself, and he told me to take out the trash, I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> this is different. How many of y'all, you don't expect Joel to do this today. How y'all doing today? <laughs> you Joe, and I know you did. I never like to close the broadcast without taking off an article of my clothes and beating your butt with it. My daddy shot himself outside his daddy's trailer. <laughs> sure is entertaining, isn't it? I'll have to send that to Joe and be like, David, I can't believe you do that. Oh, my God. But you know what? I'm just me. And you just be you. God gave you that personality. If you're a phlegmatic, next week we're going to talk about it. If you're a melancholy, it helps you to understand what you are. If you're a sanguine, oh, I'm just happy. But your house is a mess. Where? Where in the Bible does it talk about melancholy and sanguines and things like that? Hmm? And you're like, well, yeah, I don't comb my hair, but I'm happy. <laughs> but then you're a cleric. You're like, you comb your hair! Or I'm going to rip it out! Well, you might need some more sessions <laughs> to help you through it. But who you are, don't apologize for who you are. You are who you are. We just kind of got to dial it down, throttle it back. Figure out what worked for you. The Bible said to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Out of context again. So what, what I want you to do is this. I want you to stay on this track that you're on right now. You know you're at the right place. You know you serve the right God. And maybe it's been a while and you're like, you know, I've never consistently came to church this many weeks in a row. Kind of freaking me out. I'm feeling like a holy roller. Don't even tell my friends. They're like, what's the matter? You, you doing time or something? You got some kind of community service? 
But how many of y'all feel better? Raise your hand if you're like, I feel better when I hear the word, when I feel the worship. See, that's God catapulting your life to where you need to be. I'm proud of you. God is proud of you. Stay with it. And I promise you, if you stay with it in a year from now, you'll be like, wow, I'm enjoying my life. I'm happy again. Because there's nothing more miserable than you going around thinking that God's ticked at you or that you're not a good person or you've messed up too much for God to believe in you. Messed up too much for God to believe in you. Hmm. Last time I checked my Bible, I'm called to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I don't recall any passages about God believing in me. Hmm. This sounds like a different gospel to me. So in my little comedic, humorous way, I've tried to inter, you know, line and lace the Bible through this to give you practical application. So you can see like me, we're going to keep getting better. And instead of reacting, we're going to act on what God says. And with all that is within us, we're going to try to walk in love with everybody, even when they're unlovely. Was that see, a- he, he, he was nice enough to interlace this comedic routine with some practical application type verses so that they can experience better results in their life. Sounds great to me. You'll notice that the tone of voice that I'm using is my anger management voice because I wouldn't want to be angry during an anger management sermon. Now would I? All right for today. I hope it was. So there it was an anger management sermon, just chock full of, good advice because God believes in you and and in he just wants the best for you in this life. So, and we even heard in there that Jesus was sinless. I I don't know why that's important, but well, it was a it was a detail he threw in there and he did say something about giving Jesus a hand because Jesus died for us. I mean, that's all important and everything too, but um I can't make any sense of what it is that I heard in this sermon because um, there wasn't an actual coherent biblical thought uh, brought to its full conclusion. There was just a bunch of verses ripped out of context to support this idea of, you know, not screwing up and losing your temper and, and you know, because you wouldn't want to get cancer and, and have heart disease. That's that, that would not be the equivalent of, of well, you know, having the abundant life. <coughs> <coughs> Yeah, wow. Um, you, you know, it's probably just best if I sign off right now before I lose my temper because um, people twisting God's word like that and pastors not doing their job to preach the word, well, that's something that kind of just gets under my skin. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can call me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Uh, till tomorrow, may God richly bless you with the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. 